Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Mark chapter 3 is where I would love for you to join me. As we have been in this series that I realize hasn't exactly been Christmas story oriented, right? Like it's not exactly been let's talk about the wise men or let's talk about the shepherds out in the field or the little baby in a manger specifically, but we have been talking about the baby in a manger because he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. And so this whole Advent series, we've been looking at this idea that there's something much more available to us as Christians than just the omnipresence of God, that he is in all places at all times, aware of all things, holding all things together, right? In fact, that there's something called the manifested presence of God, that the revealed glory of God, where he is specifically. And so we as a church are filled with that presence as believers filled by his Holy Spirit. And so last week, We've, talked, we've been talking about this idea of living life with God, right? Like of, of doing life with God because Jesus is meant to be God with us, Emmanuel. And last week we talked about specifically ways that that can hinder, like things that can hinder that, right? Ways where our relationship with God, our intimacy with God can be hindered. I realized that last week got a little bit more uh, uncomfortable for some of us, uh, maybe scared you a little bit, but um, I, I mean, just was... I don't care, just came from this, right? Lord willing. Um, we talked about the things that can get in the way and the price that must be paid, right? This idea of intimacy with God. And so we talked about what can get in the way, what can hinder it, and what was the answer? It's our sin, right? It's idolatry. We looked at Exodus 33 and, and the relationship that G, uh, the Israelites had with God's presence out in the wilderness, and their idolatry got in the way with that. God wasn't going to go with them. He was going to give them the, his end of the covenant blessings, but he wasn't going to go with them, and they said, no, we want you with us, God. But then we also looked at the price that has to be paid for intimacy with God, and we looked at the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what enacts the covenant blessing and enacts the, the, secures for us the intimacy with God that we so long and crave for. And so we always pursue intimacy with God, closeness with God through the blood of Christ. However, I, I admitted uh, two weeks ago that, that there's a way that we can kind of be comfortable with the distance where, in, in fact, I kind of confess that I felt pretty far from the Lord in my own walk with Him. And, 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 and this morning's text is actually, in the, in, the, in the points of this text, are actually going to kind of hone in even more specifically on why I felt that way. But um, we, we talked about how there's a way that we can grow content with the distance of our intimacy with the Lord, where we're, we're, we're okay with doing life for Him, but it's hard to do life with Him, because, because doing life with Him can come at a cost, right? We talked about that last week. It, it can be costly. It can be inconvenient. It might rearrange your whole schedule and your priorities and values in your heart, right? Sometimes living life with God can be dangerous for you, can it not? It can lead you to places where you might not usually be comfortable going, certain streets or alleys or countries. And so one of the ways we try to avoid all those dangers of life with God intimately is we artificialize, I made that word up, we artificialize relationship with God. 
We make it like a Peloton or a Nordic track. You remember what we talked about there? Like we get rid of all the inconveniences and dangers of actually hiking the Himalayas when we can just have a little machine that imitates it, right? And a little screen that shows it. We joked about it last week that this idea that life with God can be dangerous because you don't know what could befall you if you're actually out on the field living life with God, paying attention to where he's moving and what he's doing. You could be arrested, you could be bitten by a snake. I mean, this, I'm New Testament examples. You could be shipwrecked, you could be beheaded, beaten, you could be flogged. Like, the list keeps going and going. And, and that's kind of pretty negative, right? It's like, oh, wow, that's what, it can ha- that's what following Jesus might, might bring. But have you ever, like, seriously considered, like, deeply considered, what can happen if in every moment of your day, you're, you're paying attention to the Lord? Like, and, and have you ever thought of like, what all could actually happen? Like how amazing things could be if you did that way. No, no, no. You see, usually we think of following Jesus more like an ice bath, right? You know that new craze that's happening? Ice baths. Go, go hop in an ice bath for five to ten minutes every day. Right? Most of us just see the negative in that. We're saying, why, who's dumb enough to go put themselves in that environment? Right? Like, who would be silly enough to go jump in there? This is going to be so cold. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. I'm not even going to be able to breathe. I'm going to be, ha, 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 right? You know how awkward that is? And you put your little toe in, right? And you're like, nah, there's no way. I'm not going to do that, right? We think of a daily walk with Christ, some of us might see it as the same thing. Like we just look at all the inconveniences and the the ways that might make us uncomfortable and so we keep him at a distance. We say, you're telling me there's a cost to discipleship? You're telling me there's some things that could be inconvenient about following Christ? If that's the case, I don't want anything to do with it. He's supposed to make my life comfortable and easy, maybe even fun if he wants to. And there's ways that we can get so caught up in the discomfort and the inconveniences and the sacrifices of daily walking with Jesus, paying attention to Him and where He goes, following Him and doing what He does, that we might eventually just lose sight of all the incredible and amazing good that can happen when we do. I mean, there's actually good things about taking an ice bath. Did you notice that? I don't know if you've tried. How many of you have actually tried an ice bath, like straight up? Yeah, yeah, you probably work out, right? Just kidding. According to the, <laughs> the Cleveland Clinic, right, some, some research has come out that apparently ice baths help with muscle fatigue, they help with mental health, they help with focus, they help with sleep habits, and actually it's help you sleep better, right? There's a, several benefits, several good things that can come out of something that might seem pretty inconvenient. And today, instead of asking like the things that can hinder our withness with God, instead of thinking about all the costs and the inconveniences. Today, we're going to ask, what does it look like when we actually live with God with us, when we're actually going about our days, paying attention to Emmanuel? What can happen when we do life with God in close proximity, in close relationship with Him? What are the possibilities? And trust me, they're amazing, right? So so let me try to set the scene for you real quick. We're in Mark chapter 3. And and let me set up some of the context. In verses 1 through 6, right, Jesus just healed a man with a withered hand, and his enemies just hated him for it. They didn't like it, and so they started plotting to kill him. Like, how dull. You heal a guy's hand, oh, we don't like you. 
That's ridiculous. Verse, and then verses 7 through 12, we see a ton of people start to seek Jesus out because he's starting to heal, and a bunch more people are then healed, and then Jesus requests to have this boat, so he's not like, it's not like a Black Friday stampede for Jesus, right? And then in verses 13 through 19, which is where our text is going to be, after all of this, Jesus calls up a few of his followers. They call, he calls them up the mountain, and he appoints them to be his disciples, to be his followers. So check out verse 13 in chapter 3. It says this, Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that's all the text. That's all we got this morning. Short, sweet, succinct. Let's do it. So of the masses that were following after Jesus, seeking his healing, he only called a smaller portion up the mountain that he wanted to be with him. Now, we're familiar with that concept, right? We've already looked at it in John, that there were masses of crowds that wanted Jesus to heal them, but they didn't actually really want to follow him. And when things got hard, they left, right? So it happens, right? There's, there's times where there's large masses and then times where there's just a few. And those few seem to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And it says that he did what to them? And he appointed 12. The word appointed there is probably too weak for what we see in the Greek, right? The Greek word is epoiesin. You want to say that with me? Epoiesin. Nice try. And it comes from the root word poieo, which means to make, to fashion almost. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he issues the commission to, or the invitation to follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. So Jesus isn't just like assigning roles or responsibilities. He's actually remaking them. He's creating or making his disciples. In other words, this is implying that he's making new creatures. And then if you'd like to write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to work, circle the words, so that, whom he also named apostles, so that they would be, so that. The words so that in the Bible are some of the most helpful combinations of words you can ever find because in that you find purpose, you find intention. They're some of the most precious words that you're ever going to find in Scripture. You see what he appointed them or made them for, what he appoints them to? There's, there's three specific things, and if you'd like to take notes, I would write these down. The first one is they're, they're appointed or made for proximity, second, proclamation, and third, power. Proximity, proclamation, and power. So let's first talk about proximity. Can you say that with me? Proximity. As this is the most important element of discipleship. Second to none. The fact that we get to be in close proximity to Emmanuel, to God with us. You guys remember that really awkward, seemingly fake, but very real word that we looked at two weeks ago, the word withness. Can you say withness? Withness. It's the state or fact of being close to or connected with someone or something, close association or proximity. That's from Merriam-Webster's dictionary, not from Scott Brudd's dictionary. Guys, Jesus is God 
putting himself in the position of and making himself available for witness, for proximity, for closeness. There's a commentator named Kim Huat Tan in his commentary on the book of Mark. He writes that being with Jesus, being in close proximity to Jesus, defines succinctly what discipleship means. By being with Jesus, they can know him intimately and understand his teaching. Did you hear what the main point of discipleship with Jesus really is? It's witness. It's closeness. It's relationship to the teacher. This is why God with us, this is why Jesus in a manger is the greatest gift that we could ever receive because it's an invitation to draw near. It's an invitation to have intimacy with God in the person of Christ. So like this is literally God with us. The process of conversion, of coming out of darkness and into life in Christ is Jesus making us new creatures to be with him. That's what it means ultimately to be a disciple of Jesus, that we're walking life with him, not against him or out of rebellion to him. So we have that first point. He appoints the 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him. To be with him, first and foremost. But then there's two other that come out of that, right? Out of that proximity, what happens? Verse 14 And to be with him, to send them out. To send them out. It's out of the proximity, it's out of the closeness that we get commissioned. But what are we sent for? What are we commissioned to do? Appointed to the task of what? Well, here's the answer. We're sent for proclamation with power. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Sent for proclamation with power. So first, let's talk about this idea of proclamation, of preaching, right? We, from the intimacy with God, are sent out into this world to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Guys, uh, this is very much embodying one of my favorite passages from 2 Corinthians 5. talks about how we are made as new creatures. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And, and, And all of this is from God through Christ And through Christ, he reconciled to us himself. And it says that he gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Our responsibility as new creatures, our task is the service of reconciling lost people to the holy, loving God that we know well. In fact, You can say it this way, that we are reconciled to reconcile, right? And not only that, that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 keeps going, and it says that not only have we been given the ministry, but we've also been given the message of reconciliation. We are saved by Christ, and we're kept here on earth to be a part of this great commission that God sends us out into, and it's to proclaim the message of reconciliation, to preach this good news of the gospel to those who are far from God. Now, uh, based on your personality type, some of you are like, let's go, let's do this. Others of you are like, I don't like people. 
Some of you are, how many of you are extroverts? Just raise your hand. Extroverts? Yep, go ahead and admit it. It's okay. We love you. How many of you are introverts? Right? Introverts, we love you too. Right? You're all good people. You, you know those persons, though, who are like just deeply extreme extroverts, don't you? You can see them. You can even see them here, right? The, 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 like, like they should be a social networker. They could be their own Facebook if they wanted to. Like these social butterflies, they walk around, they connect with anyone and everyone. They have no hindrances, no fears. And they want to make sure that you get connected with the people that they just connected with. And if you're the introvert, you're just totally annoyed by every minute of it. So like one of the things, I mean, I did this last week to a guy who was here. I went up and said, hey, good to see you, man. Have you met Jeff? Right? And Jeff just stands up. Jeff Walter stands up. Hey, I'm Jeff. And it's like, and then I walk away and there they are talking, right? Like that's how you do it. We're doing the same thing with Jesus to the world, right? We walk around and we say, hey, hey, I, I just met you for the first time. Hey, I, I, what's your name? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I've got this really close friend really close friend that I'd love for you to meet. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you what he's like. And let me tell you what it's like knowing him. Do you want to meet him? Guys, that's, that's the simplified version of proclamation and preaching and evangelism. Jesus makes us his disciples so that we can be with him and out of that, proclaim him. But you got to remember that it first started in the proximity. It first starts in the closeness with Jesus. And so, so one of the things that I want to challenge you with is, is you cannot commend what you don't cherish. You, you cannot commend to others and celebrate with others what you yourself aren't truly cherishing in your own heart and life. So, so if you were to take a, a, a look at the things that you often put your endorsement on, the things that you're often bringing up in conversation and talking about to people and, and, and you're commending to them, it, 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 it's what you most cherish, most likely. It's not that it's wrong, but I'm just asking you to examine your own heart and, and, and look at, well, what are you cherishing most? Because, because if you're not cherishing Christ the most in your heart, then there won't be a commending of it to others that this proclamation talks about. you got to remember that. It's in the intimacy that we experience that sort of cherishing of Christ. We see his glory, and we can't help but just go say, hey, world, look at this guy. Man, this Jesus, he's good. Now, others of you might have a concern about, like, not feeling educated enough, right? You might be like, oh, man, I just, I don't know enough about the Bible. Uh, I don't even know enough about God to be able to go out and talk to people about him. How, what am I supposed to do? Well, you got to remember, what happened in Acts chapter 4 when the disciples had been arrested and they were preaching the gospel, they were preaching to the religious leaders, and the religious leaders were just absolutely astounded. You know Why? They were like, well, they're not educated men. They're not seminary and trained men. What was the reason why they were so astounding? They said they knew that they had been with Jesus. Proximity. Equipping for proclamation. Proclaiming Christ out of the proximity. And 
not only do we have the task to proclaim, to preach, but we have this energy that blesses it and empowers it. And that's actually the third part of that. Right? We have proximity, we have proclamation, and what was the third one? Power, power. They are given what? They're given the authority to drive out demons. They have authority to drive out demons. Now, as soon as some of us hear that, we go, oh gosh, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Oh boy. Guys, I grew up in the kind of Christian environment that, that didn't talk about this element of the Christian walk or of the cosmos in this way. So we didn't study about it. We, we probably would have just kind of like baffled through it like I just did, right? Because it makes us too uncomfortable to talk about this reality. You know the very first thing, the best thing that any enemy can do in this cosmic war for our souls, you know what he can do? The best thing that he can do is to convince us as Christians that there is no war in the first place. Why wouldn't he do that, right? I mean, why, why fight? Why need power if there isn't a war to be waged? But if there isn't a war to be waged, why would Jesus grant us power and authority over evil, over the demonic? Well, keep going down the line. You know the second best thing that Satan can do in the war that we're a part of is to convince us that we have no power to fight. Think about it. Think that if, what could happen if you could convince Superman that he had no powers? What would he do when, when evil started to rise up? He'd run. He'd run away in cowardice. He'd hide away in fear. He'd make all sorts of excuses for his lack of participation every time the Justice League came down and called on him. Geeked out. Okay, don't worry about it. Like, don't you realize that Jesus being born in a manger, that Emmanuel is God establishing the beachhead in his war against Satan, sin, and death, that that was an invasion Guys, and the reality is, in all of this, our, 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 our leader, our, our Christ, he didn't leave us defenseless and unarmed in this war, right? So as, as part of being made new creatures, we're ambassadors, right? And we share his authority and his power in this war against the principalities and the powers of darkness. So, so you're well-equipped. You, as a disciple of Christ, are well-equipped. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Brothers and sisters, we have bunker-busting power living in us. What, what did you think it meant when when we say greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we have this, this example of this kind of power played out all the way in the book of Acts, like over and over again, just incredible acts of God's sign-working wonders. Just this incredible power that's over the church, 
where people are healed, demons are, are uh, set out or cast out, and like it just keeps happening on the routine. Like this was the normal part of the early church's life. As this is, this is discipleship with Christ. What it means to be living life with him. We get sent out of the intimacy to proclaim a message that brings dead people to life. And while we're doing that, we're wielding a kind of power that can demolish strongholds and undo every brokenness our sinful rebellion allowed into the created order. All because Jesus has made us new creatures. Guys, don't, don't just, I mean, I had to get over this theologically, right? Um, uh, oh, well, that was just for the apostles. Just for those 12. Guys, I, I, I don't, don't, don't you dare think that the proclamation and the power that come with proximity to Jesus are limited to the 12 apostles just because they carried that title. No, no, no. There are tons of examples in the Bible where ordinary Christians who aren't even named are seen boldly preaching the gospel and driving out demons and healing people. Guys, it is absolutely incredible all the things that we get to be a part of and all the things that we get when we are called to Jesus to have faith in him. We get this proximity. We get to be with him. And then out of that, we're sent out into proclamation and power. So can't you see why God would be with us? Can't you, can't you see why, why the Father sent the Son, offered him up on the cross, rose him from the dead, and then, and then sent to us his Spirit? Emmanuel, so that we can be near God. And then we can be sent out with him to proclaim the gospel. And so that we can fight in the war that he's already won victory over. But guys, if we, if we had no God with us, if there was no Emmanuel, then there would be no invitation to be near him. He'd always, at least from the old covenant, be in some building over, over somewhere in a different country, at least. If there was no Emmanuel, then there would be no message with the strength to save sinners. If there was no Emmanuel, then there would be no power to wield over those who seek to destroy us. Because I think with all of this, in light of what I've been wrestling with in my own walk with Christ and the things that have been convicting me, I think there's one thing that I just want to focus on to wrap up our time. There seems to be, in this simple passage, intentionality to the way these three things are ordered. There seems to be priority in the intentionality. These three elements, proximity, proclamation, and power, of those three... Which do you think is primary? Which do you think is the... Yeah. Guys, Jesus makes us disciples for three purposes according to this passage. And we know that's not an exhaustive list. But the first one that the ultimate discipler makes 
And what he states is the preeminent and primary one of this privilege and its proximity, its, its witness with the rabbi. And so this is like the main, the main principle that we, I, I really think that we all need to be walking away with understanding, convinced of in our hearts. And that's this, that proximity precedes proclamation and power. That proximity comes before any kind of life out in the world of proclamation and power. So think about it this way. Did, did Jesus say, uh, bear much fruit and you will abide in me? No. Did, did he start with, hey, you got to at least start doing stuff, and then there you can find the closeness. No, he said, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So he who stays in close proximity to me, who does life with me, will proclaim the gospel and walk in power. So in other words, proximity is primary in this. In fact, I'm gonna, I hope this works. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, one of his letters, there's a book that, that compiles a bunch of his letters, and, and he pictured all of this as three concentric circles, and it's this way. So I don't know if you can see that at the top. It says power. Power is the, alt, uh, the outermost circle. It's got its defensive nature, its apologetic nature to it. But then inside of that comes proclamation. Comes this idea that, that we're, we're, we've got right doctrine and that it's declared, that it's spoken, that it's preached. But then he said, inside of all of these, is proximity at the core of it all. In fact, let me quote what he says. He says, The personal relationship of the individual soul with a personal God lies at the core of the Christian life, with which the devotional deals and without which Christianity is not really Bible-believing. <laughs> Do you hear that? Guys, don't get this order wrong. Don't get the order wrong. Proximity precedes power. The person precedes proclamation. Guys, based on the principle that proximity precedes power and, and proclamation, I think there's a way that that can work it itself out in our own lives. And, and it's something that I think we really need to remember. And that's this, that we cannot do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. So, like, again, I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying to, to poke really hard, but, but just examine your own life, right? Like if you find yourself hardly proclaiming the gospel or commending it to others, and you see so little power in your own life over sin, over temptation, over the enemy, I would venture to say that it's because you're just not spending very much time at all in proximity to Emmanuel. Guys, Satan, Satan isn't going to get you to shut your mouth about the gospel by just sending a, a firestorm of suffering into your life to tear everything apart. He could. He's done it before. But you know what he'll do to take you off the field, to take you out of the game? He'll just simply whisper to you, hey, like, what's, what's five minutes of prayer and meditation on God's word going to do for you? It's just five minutes. You're too busy anyways. 
You've got, all, you've got your to-do list. You've got this to go on, right? You don't really need it. I mean, haven't you already read the Bible through in a year? Isn't that enough for you Christians? You don't have time for this. You see, Satan always, always aims his target or aims his weapon and firepower at our proximity. At disrupting our relationship with God. And you know, another one of his strategies is to confuse you and I into thinking that living life for Jesus, filled with all the good works and the morality that comes with it, and what is, is actually what doing life with Jesus really means. He, he, he'll be able to confuse the two, but it isn't. Here's what I mean. More often than not, Christians understand the narrative of Scripture through the lens of morality, which means we talk about a lot about what God expects and the behaviors of His people. We, we talk about this, the, the summation of the Christian life, endeavoring to line up my behaviors with His expectations of do's and don'ts. And so we focus a lot of our attention and efforts and preaching on good works, on doing good things, on serving people, on being kind and generous and helping the least of these, right? And yet we don't even realize that it is impossible to live life for Jesus without living life with Jesus. Guys, and I'll say this, isn't it so much easier to do things for Jesus than it is to just be with him. It's so much harder to do things with Jesus because that's personal, that's intimate. It exposes us and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. But, but this, is, this is why it's so easy for us to assemble teams to get together to serve food to those in need or it's easy for us to send teams to help build churches but we can't hardly get enough people attending our prayer meeting on Monday night. Because life for Jesus is a lot easier than life with Jesus. As we have a whole lot of people who are ready to live for Jesus, and not many who actually want life with Jesus. I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, two Sundays ago, actually, this, this paradigm of Mary and Martha, right? I just, man, I wish we weren't Martha, right? You know, poor Martha, what a, what a legacy, right? My goodness, like, like you have Martha who's busy serving, busy doing the tasks, and we have Mary who's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And, and Martha complains, and Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better portion. You know, it's a lot easier to be the Martha because it makes us feel better about ourselves because we're accomplishing things. For some of us, sitting at the feet of Jesus just seems like a waste of time. Here's the thing. In Matthew 7, to who was it that Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness? It was those who were prophesying, who were casting out demons, who did so many mighty, wonderful works, all in Jesus' name. There was a whole lot of life for Jesus. 
But do you remember why Jesus said, depart from me? He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. You were never in relationship with me. As God with us isn't with us for our behavior modifications. He isn't with us for our morality, though those are things that fall in line down the way, but He is with us ultimately for relationship, for witness, for the proximity. So yeah, God cares about our morals. He cares about our behaviors, but we can't get anywhere close to anything godly in there without proximity, without abiding in Jesus. And even worse... Even worse, when all we do is talk about living life for Jesus and never living life with Jesus, we actually damage the witness of the gospel. Because what happens is, is, is when people look in at the gospel and we're talking about it as if it's a moral story of us getting right and starting to do good things and, and have better behaviors, then, then the people who are far from God and think that they just have to better themselves in order to be accepted in this news of the gospel, they'll never come near. They'll always think that God's at a distance because they can't measure up to the morality. But you see, that's the whole point of the gospel. That the gospel is that Jesus came to be perfectly moral for those who could not be and then gives his righteousness to them so that they can be with him. Guys, the gospel's for relationship. The whole manger scene was all about establishing the relationship. God is with us for proximity. And when you and I, when we talk about the gospel and we look at the gospel through the relational lens... That means anyone and everyone can come. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank, how many bills are past due. It doesn't matter what's on your criminal record. Anyone and everyone can come and enjoy the king. As brothers and sisters, this is why the mission of the gospel and the expansion of God's kingdom, they're not going to come through just heroic acts of outrageous generosity or martyrdom. You know how it's going to come? It's going to come when you're on your knees before the Holy King in the privacy of your own bedroom, convicted of your sin and of your depravity, and you're in awe of His grandeur and majesty as revealed in His Word, and you're offering up yourself to Him in that private place for His purposes in and through your life. And you're going out of that reliant upon his empowering grace. That's how the kingdom of God will expand. The follower, follower of Jesus cultivating life with God before life for God. One author said, you get those backwards and you will run dry. You may be someone who knows and spreads the gospel, but you will slowly see your spiritual vitality fade if your relationship with Christ is not the priority. Proximity to Jesus is key. Your relationship with him is the most important part of your ministry. What happens in your prayer closet matters more than anything you do in a public platform. That's from Trevin Wax. So guys, I, I shared with you a confession two weeks ago that I did feel far from the Lord. 
that I uh, was doing a whole lot of life for him going through the motions and I felt far from him. And this is the exact reason, accompanied with some of the sin that he called out last week in my own life. This is the other part. Like, I need witness with Jesus. And so that's my challenge to you today. We're not going to measure a person's value in the kingdom of God by their abilities or giftings or opportunities. It's just going to be by how close they live with Jesus. Prioritize your witness with God who is with us. I mean, look at what can happen. You'll, you'll introduce people to Jesus. You'll see spiritual strongholds busted open. All because you know the king well. So I, I, I think it would be a, a foolish thing for us to just kind of say, all right, we got God's word. Let's go. We'll leave. I, 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 if the challenge today is to, to draw near, to be close to God, and to live life, the daily awareness of and interaction with God, then it makes sense for us to, to have some time together where we do that. And so if you would just bow your heads. I'm not going to um, be praying right now. I'm just going to be talking to the Lord, and I want to challenge you that you would ask Him to meet with you now, that you would, that you would draw near to Him, that you would pray, and that you would even ask that in your devotional life, like if it's non-existent, that it would be revitalized, that it would be restored and even, even uh, expanded on. Pray that he'll meet you tomorrow morning when you get up early to, to be in his word. Or when you're laying down your head at night, that you would get glimpses of his glory. Invite him in and... And pray with him now, and, and then I'll pray us out. Lord Jesus, I am becoming aware of the reality that for some people, this might be the first time that they're actually talking to you. And for others, it might be countless times that they've come to you asking for you to revitalize them, to restore them, to to draw near to them as they draw near to you. God, I praise you for your promise and your word that if we seek you, we will find you when we seek you with our whole hearts. God, you're not far off. You're not distant. You're not strange. Your word says that you are Emmanuel, you're God with us, and that one of the greatest gifts of the gospel, the reward that Christ purchased with his blood was proximity, was intimacy with you, God. And so we are seeking you. We want you close. We want you near. We want to be in the, in the hallways at Walmart 
paying attention to what you're doing and what you might want to do through us there. We want to be uh, on the floor by our beds at night, uh, interceding for families, for children in our church. God, we want to be driving, and, and when we get cut off, pray for the person. <laughs> God, we want to be responding with a deep awareness of your closeness to us, which Christ purchased for us with his blood. Because, Father, we, we want to be a part of the commission. We want to be sent out for this proclamation and this power. God, we do want to see you using us to preach the ministry, preach the message of reconciliation, to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. And God, we want to be seeing your power on display that, that, that as we're sharing your good news to people in need, that there would be chains broken from addictions to all sorts of nonsense and brokenness, that there would be uh, healings happening, that there would be people who are unable to rest until they find their rest in you, God. God, I pray for this kind of withness in this church, that our priority utmost would be, our utmost priority would be relationship with you. Show us how to walk in it. Show us all the things that can happen when we refuse to quench your spirit, but walk according to it. Revitalize our devotional lives. May we gl get glimpses of your glory. Show us your glory every time we come to you, God, so that we can be transformed and changed and shaped and then sent. We love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.